I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Standing up and speaking out, here's Hal Sparks. Well, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I can't be happier to be with you and more thankful that you're joining us on this lovely um, semi-gloomy, slightly rainy Saturday here in Kentucky where I am visiting family over the Thanksgiving holiday. And uh, I appreciate you guys joining us on this Saturday, whatever you're doing. If you're cleaning up afterwards, trying to figure out a way to use up some of those uh, leftovers, that's, a, that's, that's really the task, isn't it? You know, because some turkey is great for sandwiches after others. You might as well just make some shoes, quite frankly. So dry. Just you could resole a pair of clodhoppers with those. Yeah. Depends on who the cook is and how functional they are. I want to hear, of course, in the chat room what the highlight of your Thanksgiving uh, feast was. Summer and I, my girlfriend and I went to we had a vegan Thanksgiving on actual Thanksgiving Day. We went to a uh, place in Vegas and they did this kind of Thanksgiving uh, vegan prefix, prefi, where they, uh, it was like a four-car sit-down vegan meal. It was really lovely. And um, on our way down there, we jo- dropped off uh, toiletries and, um, and supplies of varying needs uh, at the homeless shelter down in, in Las Vegas. They do a thing every year on Thanksgiving Day where you can either volunteer to go down and feed people or you can bring down clothes, blankets, um, and mainly they need toiletries. Um, and, and a big one, by the way, if you're looking for something to give this year, if you, you, want, you, know, you want to put the giving back in Thanksgiving, see what I did there? Um, what you might want to try is uh, go buy some fresh socks and some fresh underwear because that is the one thing that everybody is on short supply of. In, in homeless shelters, and it's a it's a highly prized and necessary item. Keeping your feet clean and dry when you live on the street is uh, the highest order of difficulty. And so, uh, socks and underwear worth doing it. Just head on down to a, a, a one of these bulk stores, or go to Target or wherever they're having sales, and just scoop up a bunch of them, and then just drop them off. Trust me, they'll do. You'll, their faces will brighten right up. That's super important. So I recommend that. Um, remember, you know, since it's Thanksgiving weekend, you've done the thanks part. You did that on Thursday. Now it's the giving part. That's the, we enter into the giving season. So you, you can dovetail it. I'm just saying it's super helpful. And, um, and speaking of the gift that keeps on giving the, uh, <coughs> we are going to get to enjoy, um, over the next couple of weeks, sort of a lesson, in what qualifies as an impeachment level charge. And we are also going to get into a, um, from the Judiciary Committee, um, you know, we'll we'll have this lesson provided to us because they're going to be bringing in, mainly as part of their hearings, is not a, a hearing on evidence because that's already been done. That that investigation is is for all practical purposes over. Um, they have all the information they could possibly need um, there is a fascinating aspect of this um, that um, on, I guess, as a lot of us looked at the, I guess, what was coming up as, you know, in, uh, over the last couple of weeks, um, the, the witnesses that came forward, um, especially Sondland, which was, everybody was expecting primarily for him to plead the fifth and then uh, and or. 
obfuscate or just clean up stuff and cover his own butt and then plead executive privilege everywhere else. He came in there and kind of dumped it all on the table. The one area where he seemed to help Donald Trump and, you know, amongst all the thousand death of a thousand cuts that he was doing with his testimony was the idea that he talked about this September 9th phone call where he spoke to Trump and Trump said, I want nothing. I want nothing. I want no squid pro row. I just want Zelensky to do the right thing. What, it, what he campaigned on. Right. That was the that was the big uh, sort of shocker moment. Um, <clears throat> and then anybody who listened to it, even in that context, knew full well that the man was basically warning the president that they had been caught, that they were stuck, that they'd been found out. And it would probably be best in those circumstances, be best. It would be best if he used some very clear language to start doing a little CYA of his own. And so Trump famously said, I don't make sure they say out loud. No, no uh, squid pro row. Make sure there's no no pro quo anything. And that's because the attorneys had told him, um, we, you know, we now know that there was an investigation that had already started, that they were concerned that there was uh, word on the street was that they were demanding something in exchange for this uh, this uh, aid getting released, uh, which is commonly referred to, especially these days, as a quid pro quo. And that's illegal. And somebody had told Trump that. And so he basically said, look, tell him there's no quid pro quo. However, uh, make sure he does make this announcement or he's never getting a White House visit and the aid isn't getting turned loose. Now, the aid got turned loose because they recognized that the deadline was coming up. And if they didn't turn it loose, the investigation would have all the evidence it needed immediately. So they tried to you know, cut their losses and split. In terms of the White House visit, though, which was a crucial piece of, ex- of the exchange, it was necessary. Zelensky needs to let Russia know that America has his back and not, it, it, you know, and is not supporting Russia's undermining of their government. Which side of this conflict is the president on? And the president has clearly, from the moment he stepped in office, been on Russia's side in every exchange. He wants them back in the G7. He, I mean, they have one of our bases in Syria right now. Um, whatever geopolitical advantage Putin wants over this president, Putin gets. And the only ones he doesn't get, and where Trump constantly claims no one has been tougher on Russia than Donald Trump, um, have all been congressionally mandated veto-proof majority-level votes on sanctions that he had to implement. There was no removing of those sanctions on his own. So all the all the areas where he's quote unquote been tough are all the areas where he had no choice whatsoever. And everywhere he's had any possible wiggle room, he has used it to Putin's advantage every single time without fail. The uh, clearly, oh. One of the biggest examples, for example, was when we ejected the the spies. There was at one point over the sanctions where um, they kicked out some of our diplomats and we kicked out some of theirs and the European Union kicked out some uh, Russian um, 
diplomats out of their countries who were who they believe were guilty of spying. Now, in that, the the we had some somewhere in the order of sixty uh, Russian personnel that were kicked out. When Trump found out that we gave we kicked out more than the Europeans did, he was furious. This was a this was a regular story. He was screaming at his staff that we kicked out more than everybody else. He was willing to do the same amount as everybody else to kind of look like, well, this is kind of run of the mill tit for tat. But the fact that we did more, he was concerned it would upset Putin. And he got you know, he was yelling at his staff um, about this. Now, um, the Gordon Sondland testimony, which on on so many fronts is was damaging to the president. But, but, but there was an area where he kind of protected the president a little bit. And this has been, I mean, Trump came out onto the, ro- onto the lawn on his way to the helicopter reading what he uh, allegedly said to Sondland out loud um, to reiterate that that's what he had in fact said. And, and the, uh, there, there's been a couple of articles that have come up um, lately that have put into question the existence of that no quid pro quo call at all, that it, that it never happened. Um, we're going to take a break. And then when I come back, I want to read you um, sections of, uh, there's a couple of articles. This one's from justsecurity.org. But it's co- pretty compelling that that whole exchange, not only did Sondland lie about it, but he lied in terms of beyond its existence, but those words were even made up. This was in and of itself uh, a protection element for the for the president. Um, we'll be back right after this. This is House Park Radio Program. This is Tom Harmon, and you're listening to the Hal Sparks Radio Program, Mega Worldwide. I don't know if he's playing our lead-in, but we're we're back regardless. Um, so this is from JustSecurity.org. There's been a couple of other outlets reporting this, but this is the most succinct kind of version of it that I could find. At the heart of the impeachment inquiry, members of Congress may have been mistakenly led to believe that there were two phone calls between President Donald Trump and Ambassador Gordon Sondland in early September. It's the idea that there was one on the 6th and one on the 9th, um, which with the second call having the possibility of helping the president's case. That's the, I want no nothing. I want nothing. I want no squid pro row. Um, that's not what happened. There was only one call and it was highly incriminating. The call occurred on September 7th. In this call, Trump did say there was, quote, no quid pro quo with Ukraine, but he then went on to outline his preconditions for releasing the security assistance and granting a White House visit. In other words, explained that there was a quid pro quo and what it was and how it had to happen or he wasn't going to give the aid and have the White House visit. Um, The call was so alarming that when John Bolton learned of it, he ordered his deputy, Tim Morrison, to immediately report it to the National Security Council lawyers. Sondland has testified there was a call on September 9th in which Trump said there was no quid pro quo, but that he wanted President Zelensky to, quote, to do the right thing. A close reading of the publicly available evidence shows that the latter call was actually the very one that sent Morrison to the lawyers and that Ambassador Bill Taylor foregrounded in his written deposition to inform Congress of the quid pro quo. 
As this article was in publication process at Just Security, the Washington Post published a report raising doubts about the existence of the September 9th call. The, anal- uh, the analysis that follows is consistent with the Post report and, among other points, shows why Sondland's no quid pro quo call is in fact the same as the September 7th call that Morrison reported the NSC lawyers on September 7th. So the I want nothing part was fake. One of the central questions that the House's impeachment inquiry is attempting to resolve is whether President Trump sought to condition official acts, such as a White House meeting or U.S. military assistance, on Ukraine's willingness to assist with two political investigations that would help his reelection campaign. And over the past several weeks, witnesses testifying before the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence have given uncontested testimony that established the following. During a July 10th, 2019 meeting at the White House, the U.S. US ambassador to the European Union told Ukrainian officials that there would be, quote, a prerequisite of investigations before any White House meeting would occur. During a July 25th phone call, President Trump asked President Zelensky for the favor of an investigation into Joe Biden and the false Russian-backed claims that it was the Ukraine that interfered in the 2016 election. Following a July 26th meeting, between the ambassador to the EU, Sondland, and the Ukrainian officials, President Trump asked the ambassador, so Zelensky is going to do the investigation? To which the ambassador replied, he's going to do it. That was the phone call in the restaurant that Holmes overheard. Holmes? Um, President Trump demanded that President Zelensky make a public announcement that he was opening an investigation into Biden. Again, I would argue, and this has been the fact from both from Sondland's testimony and what uh, came out early that he didn't want the investigations. They knew there would be no end to the investigations that would uh, that would be valuable to them. They didn't want him to just investigate and then let us know when you got the incriminating evidence because there was none. So what they wanted was him to just make an announcement that they were doing this so they can just scream about it back and forth and have Rudy run all over television explaining people that there was corruption where there wasn't any. And they would go, but they made an announcement. See, they, they're looking into it. They must think it's serious. Again, the Comey moment again. Um, President uh, Trump's personal attorney told both American officials and Ukrainian officials that the president would require, as a quid pro quo, that Ukraine announce the desired investigation before any White House meeting would occur. Again, announce not do it. This is per Sondland's opening statement. At a meeting in Warsaw, the U.S. ambassador to the European Union informed a senior, a senior Ukrainian official that the security assistance money would not be released until Ukraine publicly announced an investigation into Burisma in 2016. Okay, so that's all from Sondland's testimony. That uh, list is by no means exhaustive. Um, so what then is there left for the impeachment inquiry to, to prove? In the face of this damning and conclusive evidence, the White House and House Republicans have been forced to retreat to their current defense that President Trump himself has not been proven to have done anything wrong because there was no witness who testified to having personally heard the president announce he was seeking a quid pro quo from Ukraine in exchange for the release of the security assistance. Yeah, except all the people uh, that admit that he asked these things, include, and Sondland was a direct witness to this. So there is. Sondland qualifies as a firsthand witness of the exchange of, I want this in exchange for that. That's him being a direct witness to the quid pro quo and the president telling him specifically that's what he wanted. Before, it, which that conversation was ongoing before he ever got to the I want nothing part after they'd already gotten busted. Um, again, they didn't, they got caught. That's all this is about. They got, they released the funds because they got caught. I would still say 
that the quid pro quo is still ongoing because they never got the White House meeting. Zelensky has never gotten a White House meeting. They met in Europe, um, but he never got the in-house, what, like he never got to come to the States for his White House meeting because he didn't announce the investigations. That was the quid pro quo. It was a quid no quo uh, because it didn't work out. Uh, the defense, it should be noted, is hardly a defense at all. There is no dispute that the president used the powers of his office to coerce a foreign state in investigating a domestic political rival, nor is there any dispute that the Ukrainians were informed by the Trump administration that the hold on security assistance would not be lifted until the in these investigations were publicly announced. Again, they, they still infer that there was an investigation to be had. I push back on that every single time because they never were interested in actual investigations. Rudy had been digging around over there for the better part of a year and was not able to dig anything up, even being friends with the prosecutors who were going after them in the first place, who got broomed out, even taking affidavits from those guys, they could find in, in no existence of a crime. So what they didn't want an investigation. They just wanted the announcement. Um, so, yeah, uh, um, this is, let's see, uh, where we pick up. However, to the extent that no witness testified to having personally heard Trump request a quid pro quo in regards to the security assistance, there are uh, two reasons for this. First is that with a single exception, every individual who interacted directly with President Trump refused to comply with the House subpoenas for their testimony. Now, that's the primary thing is like all these dudes. um anybody who was around all this, Trump is blocking them from testifying. So it's it, the absurdity of them cla claiming that they're being transparent is, I mean, is moronic. Um, the second is that the uh, single exception who did testify, Sondland, did not testify accurately when he said the president uh, had never asked him for a quid pro quo from Ukraine. In fact, President Trump had specific had personally informed Sondland of his specific demands for a quid pro quo from Ukraine. He it was, again, it's one of those things where the bank robbery is in progress. The cops run in while they're, you know, yelling about no die packs and I'll kill anybody who tries to go for it and put the money in the bag and all that kind of stuff. And the cops run in, they rip off their ski mask, throw their gun on the floor and go, I'm just making a deposit like that's. The idea that they would be allowed to go free in that circumstance, that analogy is ridiculous. So, but that is the defense. Um, uh, the, uh, okay, one, the no quid pro quo call. The, um, of all the omissions from uh, Ambassador Sondland's testimony, one of the most significant has to do with his testimony about what has been dubbed the no quid pro quo call. Because the White House and the State Department did not comply with the White House's subpoenas for records, no documents concerning this call have been produced. But all witnesses agree that sometime around the second week of September, President Trump and Ambassador Sondland had a phone call. And at some point during this call, Trump said the words no quid pro quo. Sondland has at times been ambiguous as to exactly when this phone call took place and has vacillated between the dates of six and uh, September 6th and six, September 9th. But in the version of events that Sondland most frequently describes in his testimony, he says that he made the no quid pro quo call on September 9th. Sondland has testified it was a brief conversation in which, Trump asked, uh, in which he asked Trump a single question. I asked him one open-ended question. What do you want from Ukraine? And as I recall, he was in a very bad mood. It was a very quick conversation. He said, I want nothing. I want no pr quid pro quo. I want Zelensky to do the right thing. 
It is this testimony from Sondland that the White House and House Republicans have clung to in support of their claim that the impeachment inquiry has failed to show misconduct by the president. The president has taken a regularly invoking Sondland's testimony, and then he went out into the lawn and wagged it about, and he's held his notes up and, and let everybody not see them, not see them, that whole trick. Overall, it most, must be noted that Sondland's testimony was incredibly damning for Trump. However, it was not quite as damning as it should have been, because in reality, as shown from the testimony of other witnesses, the no quid pro quo call did not take place on September 9th. What's more, the call was not prompted by any text from Bill Taylor. And lastly, Sondland's testimony about the no quid pro quo call omitted the most important part, the part where President Trump informed Sondland that the security assistance would be at a stalemate until President Zelensky stood in front of a microphone and personally announced that he was opening an investigation into Trump's political rivals. That's, that is the primary part of this. That in, the, the aid, which by the way, Trump knew he had to release. Zelensky did not know he had to release it. Trump knew it was going out the door on a certain date. Zelensky did not. The pressure that the White House was putting on Zelensky and the frantic nature of them just getting him to do it, just get him to get out there, say these words, make sure that he says these exact words by this certain date. And they needed it by the 11th or the 12th, which is when he was going to meet with Fareed Zakaria um, and be on that CNN panel. They wanted him to say it at that point. They needed him to say it by that date because they knew the money was going to go out the door by hook or by crook, no matter what they did. So they wanted Zelensky to think that they were still holding the strings. So they were blackmailing him. They were effectively extorting him with something they did not have control over in terms of the money. In terms of the White House visit, they absolutely did. And that was their strongest working point, which is why from Sondland and everyone else's point, that's what their biggest crowbar uh, on him was. We'll be back. It's the House Parks Radio Program, Mega Worldwide on WCPD Radio, Chicago's Progressive Talk. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Um, live from Kentucky. Um, we'll be back right after this. Don't forget to follow, uh, like, and subscribe on uh, Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, the House Parks Radio Podcast, Mega Worldwide on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. We'll be back after this. Now let's get back with House Parks radio program, Mega Worldwide. So the no quid pro quo call took place, um, according to this article, on September 7th, not on the 9th, which is crucial. Um, um, so, okay, the new, no quid pro quo call uh, did not take place on September 9th, as Sondland claimed at one point in his testimony. Instead, it took place on September 7th. This is shown from the testimony of Tim Morrison, Senior Director for European Affairs for the National Security Council, and the Charles de Fale, Bill Taylor, both of whom were briefed on the call by Sondland shortly after it occurred. The de this detail is critically important, not because the precise date of the call is significant in and of itself, but because of what it shows about the true content of that call. The substance of the conversation that Morrison and Taylor described in their testimony and that Sondland omitted from his. Sondland, through ambassador, uh, um, though Ambassador Sondland testified that to the best of his recollect recollection, the no quid pro quo call occurred on September 9th, Sondland was also quick to point out that as a result of his inability to review certain State Department records, his, quote, memory admittedly has not been perfect. Now, one of the big standout moments, I think, listening to the testimony from Sondland 
amazingly for most people, was the fact that the White House was stonewalling them and not allow, and Pompeo was stonewalling them on allowing the staff to even prepare for his testimony. They were not given access to dates and documents and call logs and all that kind of stuff so that they could clarify when they went uh, to court, you know, when they went to uh, testify in the public hearings largely because it was understood that Sondland had lied during his closed door deposition and was going to have to clean it up. So they didn't want him going in there with every tool he needed to clear himself and, and screw everybody else. So, um, you know, regardless like that, the the fact that they wouldn't allow um, him to have the actual factual records of his phone calls, his trip details, his meeting logs and all that stuff, which by the way, I'm fairly certain, I think American uh, Outreach, was that the group that just uh, grabbed a bunch of those documents through the FOIA thing? I'm blitzing on their name. But um, one would think, because these are not classified documents, Sondland's uh, call logs and all that kind of stuff are not classified. And so in receiving those FOIA requests that they had gotten between, you know, that showed Pompeo had been in contact with Rudy Giuliani, it's absolutely clear they could go after Sondland's call logs and, uh, and those documents he was referencing in his testimony with no problem whatsoever. <coughs> so um, uh, it was in response to the text, Sondland said that Trump made the call, uh, that Sondland made the call to Trump. Um, so rather than ask the president nine different questions, it, is it this, is it this, is that, I just said, what do you want from Ukraine? And I may have used a four letter word and he said, I want nothing. I want no quid pro quo. I just want Zelensky to do the right thing to do what he ran on or words to that effect. Um, because ambassador Volker's text exchanges were from, uh, were one of the few documentary records produced in response to the HS, uh, PCI's subpoenas, um, uh, we have a copy of the text exchange between that Sondland referred to uh, per Volker's records. Taylor's text was sent at 1247 a.m. on September 9th. After speaking to President Trump, Sondland testified he texted a response to Taylor at 519 a.m., which Sondland described as a paraphrase of what Trump told him. President was crystal clear, no quid pro quos of any kind. With these text records to support his account, Sondland's testimony uh, um, that this uh, call took place on September 9th, went largely unchallenged during the hearings uh, before the committee. But despite the text recordings, which seem seemingly corroborate Sondland's memory and provide him with precise evidence about when the call occurred, Sondland's testimony has had a curious uncertainty too. For instance, in Sondland's amendment to his closed door testimony, he avoided identifying the precise date for the call altogether, instead giving a range of possible dates from 6th to the 7th to the 9th, and then noting that his lack of access to his phone records prevented him from identifying the date with more certainty. And in his public testimony, when asked to confirm that the call had indeed taken place on the 9th, Sondland repeatedly invoked his lack of access to records to explain his inability um, to, uh, to state for sure. I may have even spoken to him on September 6th, but again, I just don't have all the records. And again and again, he deferred from providing a certain date. Now, you would think with those text messages available that he'd immediately go, no, the no quid pro quo called happened on the 9th. Um, So Morrison had testified that the the call was on the, uh, in the phone call, he told me he had just gotten off the phone, the September 7th phone call, 
and this is after midnight, so that's why the 6th or whatever. He told me that he had just got off the phone with the president. I remember this because uh, he actually made the comment that it was easier for him to get a hold of the president than to get a hold of me, which led me to respond, well, the president doesn't work for Ambassador Bolton. I do. To which Ambassador Sondland replied, does Ambassador Bolton know that? But that's why I have a vivid recollection of this. And he wanted to tell me that he had discussed with the president. He told me that there was no quid pro quo. But President Zelensky must announce the opening of the investigation. And he should want to do it. <laughs> Which, sure, why not? Why wouldn't he want to do it? Um, important to note, this is the same no quid pro quo, but language that Sondland used. So this is on the 6th and 7th. Um, they, Goldman's back and forth with him delves further into this. The clear part of this, though, is this is about when they knew there was an investigation in the day of uh, them. That day that is the day they found out that they, you know, the whistleblower was specifically looking for the quid pro quo um, conversation. So this part of it is going to be fascinating, I suppose, over the next little this review period. The question is. Will Mulvaney or any of these guys come in to testify? And will that ultimately be a distraction or an opportunity for them to sort of Lewandowski the whole thing? During uh, Taylor testified that during a September 8th call with Sondland, Sondland briefed him on what Taylor understood to be the same phone call the president that Morrison had been briefed on the day before. So before the 9th, uh, on, on, you know, they, they had gone back, back and forth about this. The text message uh, Taylor described um, that talked about this was on the 8th. Um, so the quid pro, the no quid pro quo call was in response to negotiation that occurred in Warsaw, not Bill Taylor's texts. That's the key part that this um, this this rigs on. Um, in addition to Sondland giving incorrect testimony about the date of the no quid pro quo call, Sondland was also incorrect about what had prompted the call in the first place. His September 9th text exchange with Bill Taylor could not have been what caused him to call President Trump because that call had happened at least two days before the text. Instead, Sondland had called Trump in order to confirm whether a proposed modification to the quid pro quo arrangement would be acceptable to Trump. This is when he was calling to say he'll talk about they're going to be open about investigations and they're going to talk about how they're going to fight corruption. And it wasn't specific enough. And Trump said, no, they need to say he needs to go to a mic and say they're looking into Burisma in 2016. He needs him to say this. And if he doesn't do it, he's not getting a White House visit. Um, this was and this was uh, part of like. Uh, well, and and this is after Pence had met with him on September 1st. The proposed modification of the quid pro quo arrangement had been worked out the week before during the American delegation's trip to Warsaw. Originally, this trip had been intended to include a bilateral meeting between President Trump and Zelensky, but Trump had canceled at the last minute, citing his need to monitor an incoming hurricane um, and draw a, a Sharpie around the outside of it and say it was going to hit Alabama. But Trump had canceled at the last minute, citing, uh, uh, let's see, Vice President Pence was sent in his place. And on September 1st, Pence and Zelensky met at a Warsaw, at the Warsaw Marriott. Both Sondland and Morrison were in attendance. After the bilateral meeting concluded, several officials from both sides stayed behind, including Sondland and Zelensky's senior advisor, uh, Andre Yermak. Morrison observed Sondland and Yermak speaking to one another. This is the side meeting where they said we, they gaggled afterwards. Um, and Morrison testified Sondland came over to brief him on the conversation. 
Um, I recall Ambassador Sondland telling me that he conveyed to the Ukraine, the Ukrainian presidential advisor, Mr. Yermak, that the president, uh, the prosecutor general would be sufficient to make the statement to obtain the release of aid. Um, concerned, Morrison immediately placed a call to charge Taylor to brief him on Sondland's conversation with Yermak, as Taylor explained in his opening statement for his public testimony. Now, look at that. At some point, Sondland had talked to Trump and there was this they were having trouble getting Zelensky to do this. So Sondland was looking for a workaround. Maybe the, the new prosecutor general who'd just been elected, if he announced Burisma in 2016, th- would that be good enough? And either he thought it would per Trump or um, it or the, he was figuring this would be a normal, solid workaround and they'd run it by Trump later. It obviously was not enough because in the September 6th call, he said, no, Zelensky has to do this. He's got to go to a microphone himself. The president has to do it, not the new inspector general, because nobody cares about them. Trump likes the hits. Right. So. um Concerned, Morrison immediately placed a call to Charles Taylor to brief him on Sondland's conversation with Yermak. Again, these two guys were in this exchange, and Taylor was starting to peel off, going, no, this is sketchy. Forget it. As Taylor explained in his uh, opening uh, statement before his public testimony. During the September 1st phone call with Mr. Morrison, he described a conversation Ambassador Sondland had with Mr. Yermak in Warsaw. Ambassador Sondland told Mr. Yermak security assistance money would not come until President Zelensky committed to pursue the, Bur- the Burisma investigation. I was alarmed by what Mr. Morrison told me about the Sondland-Yermak conversation. Um, the Sondland-Yermak conversation. I understand that Mr. Morrison testified at his deposition that Ambassador Sondland proposed that it might be sufficient for the Ukrainian prosecutor general to commit to pursue the investigation as opposed to Pre- President Zelensky. But this was the first time I had heard that the security assistance, not just the White House meeting, was conditioned on the investigations. Um, later on, by the way, Trump didn't go for it. We got to take a break. We'll be back. It's the House Park Radio Program, Mega Worldwide. Love you guys in the chat. I'll talk to you guys uh, after this break. I actually have a really good happy ending at the ep- at the end of this show, uh, and it's not just that I get to that I'm having Thanksgiving with my boy, and you guys might get to see him come pay me a visit. Uh, if, if we're lucky, the dogs might even come in. Um, but uh, I there's I found a it's pretty sciency, but it's pretty solid. Um, we'll be back right after this. listening to the house sparks radio program mega worldwide welcome back to the show so <clears throat> we've got a couple of callers actually um, but i want to grab ike right out of the gate i still have other stuff in this i want to talk about but ike's on the line and he called into steph while i was on this week and and it, I, it was just it was too little ike i need more ike in my life ike are you there <laughs> Yeah, man, it was a quick punch just to say hey and try to get Steph to realize, you know, I mean, I'm no Robert from Florida, but I wouldn't mind being able to get on our air once in a while. Um, And just a quick quick rip for you. The problem that we've got here, I don't care how many transcripts you release, you know, it's Mm -hmm. just like the Mueller report. I've got that book. I never read it. Mm -hmm. You know, most (laughs) of us out here are not going to be able to sit down and take time to read this garbage. What we need is we need not only the patriots that really care about the Constitution and the United States of America to go forward and sit down and testify and tell the truth. But I've been wondering all this time, 
whether it's Germany or whether it's Israel and the Mossad or whether it's Interpol or whether it's any of the rest of our allies, how come we're not hearing the recordings and the materials that they have? Because I can promise you, if this Lev guy has got actual audio recordings and you hear Trump's voice and you hear Mulvaney mm-hmm. and you hear all these other clowns on there talking about what they're doing, that'll seal the deal. That's the way we are in this country, so unfortunately, is we have to, you know, what I'd like to see, I'd like to see just like the old Abscam tapes. Remember that, where they throw the pile of cash in front of the politician. He says, oh, yeah, baby, you got it. I'll do whatever you need done. Oh, yeah. Well, and so, yes, I mean, there's clearly allies? stuff. Yeah, there's clearly stuff floating out there. Um, the question is that they're they're making a decision about either when to drop it. They're they're playing this very because if he gets back in, he's such a vindictive sociopath and they know this and he's surrounded himself with people who are even worse, like Stephen Miller. Um, they're they're worried about the ramifications. They're worried they're going to get, yeah, and, you know, and that's another they're going to be on the receiving end of this. That racist ought to be kicked out on his head and everybody knows it. But beyond that, right. uh, the last thing I'll say, I don't give a damn which way you play this. I don't see Trump ever getting back in office. And I just think that anybody who thinks he can get reelected is out of their mind. I think the mm-hmm. moderates and the independents are going to be the ones to, deal, to seal the deal. And the Republicans, the only way that they're going to beat us is if they cheat. Right. Well, that's the thing. It that's can't be close. That's and if the, if it's at all possible, they will. They will cheat. Check I have no registration, people. Check that's your right. Registration and get somebody registered. Don't be a. That's right. I've done it. Vote dot org. Drive together. Um, carpool. Yep. We will be pushing that. That is the most important thing this year. Is make sure you are registered. If you can vote by mail or vote ahead of time, do so. Um, and then volunteer as a, you know, as, as an election supervisor or just make sure everything goes off without a hitch. Um, you know, right be involved you like a brother from another mother, man. We'll talk at you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Ike. Yeah. It's good to talk to you. I it is always good to hear from Ike. Um, and I have to say, when I when I was on Steph's show, I was like I looked over and I saw that Ike was on the call. Um, I was like, oh, oh, it's Ike. Oh, it's Ike. It's our Ike. I know Ike. There we, let's let's have Ike. And then it's like half a second of Ike. And I'm like, that's not that's not nearly enough Ike. It's a holiday week. I understand it's a short week, but for God's sake. Um, but he's absolutely right. Remember, everybody, um, follow if you can the hashtag um, unhack the vote. Pay attention to that. And of course, vote.org. Um, bookmark it, check yourself, make sure you're, everything's up to date, make sure every T is crossed, every I is dotted, and help anybody who's not registered to get registered. And again, I, I don't have to say this, but I will. I, this applies to Republicans. This, replies, this applies to independents, Green Party. I don't care what your thing is. Vote, care, get involved. Um, there, I've said it, because as a Democrat, as a dyed-in-the-wool, carry-me-out-in-a-blue-box Democrat, I want your voice heard, too. And if you have a political argument against one of my political arguments, let's have that political argument. But I'm never going to be on the side of denying you the right to either make that argument or deliver your vote. Period. End of story. 
I do not move on that. I'm a complete purist when it comes to that. So um, the the Sondland thing <coughs> will be increasingly um, a, a needle over the next couple of weeks. And Trump is very frustrated. We've seen a bunch of this that it's not working better for him. This whole, I said, I want nothing. I want no quid pro quo. Because the problem is while he's saying he wanted no quid pro quo, he was engaged in manufacturing a quid pro quo. And it just sounds like he didn't know the name for the thing he was doing. It's like if somebody was embezzling and they didn't know what the word embezzling meant, they just knew they were taking money out of the company that wasn't theirs and hiding it someplace so they could spend it later on their own stuff. But they weren't embezzling. I don't even know what that is. Um, that, that seems to be his defense, that it's not a quid pro quo because I said there's no quid pro quo. When he was engaged in negotiating the points of a quid pro quo, and again, one of them, because the other side did not meet their end of the bargain, did not result in what they were going to receive. Something, by the way, that Zelensky should have received by a matter of course, simple. He should have gotten a White House working meeting. He's the new president of Ukraine. They are an ally. They are in a hot war against a country that is a kleptocracy that is engaged in gutting the the uh, economic system of it, all of its citizens it is run by a gangster. It is it, they were kicked out of the G7. They have messed around in our elections. They messed around in Brexit. They messed around in Germany. They are fomenting right wing and left wing divisive groups in every democracy on the planet. And. So the idea that you wouldn't give Zelensky when he's an ally an automatic White House meeting. And by the way, while meeting with Erdogan, who beyond you know sending his troops in on the first nod to murder Kurds in an area of the country that he just wants clamation of, he also had his guards beat up peaceful American protesters. And, and they were never charged. We just let him do that. But but the president's worried about corruption. The, the the Saudi royal family is constantly gutting their own economy, uh, engaged in all kinds of corruption, not the least of which was luring a U.S. resident and a reporter for an American newspaper into an embassy in an allied NATO country and murdering him and cutting him into pieces. But they get a meeting. Russia got a meeting right after they hacked the election. Lavrov was in the White House. That was a closed door working meeting with no translator notes. But Zelensky can't get a working meeting with 20 staff members and all the all the witnesses you could want. Like if you're worried about corruption from Zelensky's end, you couldn't pack the entire working meeting with every staff member that could come over and whisper in your ear and go, actually, that's not what, that's not true. What he's saying that that's a possibility. You can do that and roll that out, but you won't because corruption is what the president cares about. That's what he cares about. Corruption. Meanwhile, Kim Jong-un's running gulags, still testing projectiles and missiles 
still, I mean, they don't have to do any more nuclear testing. They already have a system in place to build the nuclear warheads they want. So they're just making them now. We don't test nuclear warheads anymore either. It wasn't because of our deal with the Soviet Union. It's because we're done. We know how to make them. We're in the process. We make them all the time. So, yeah, that, that in and of itself lays waste to his entire argument. The corruption was his biggest point of concern with Zelensky. It clearly wasn't. He couldn't care less. What he was doing was delaying aid to harm Ukraine and giving, you, giving Russia a leg up in a hot war by delaying arms, delaying aid, delaying support, and then not backing that country, basically offering them up to Russia. And again, they still haven't gotten the meeting. When's it going to happen? That's the big question. That's the question that should be asked this week. We'll be back. Welcome back to the Hal Sparks Radio Program, Mega Worldwide. It's now time for the happy ending. Yay! Welcome back. We've got a bunch of callers still on the line. I want to get at least a couple of them before the end of the show. So who do we have first, Evan? Next, we have Bill out in Naperville. Excellent. Hey, Bill. Hey, you rock. You rock. Oh, thank you, brother. Okay, so yeah, um, you know, I'm kind of a student of AM talk political radio for about 30 years. Okay. And okay. I would ask you, I would ask you sometime, buy a really good AM, you know, even though it's old technology receiver like a C crane, and at nighttime, scan across the stations and trying to mm-hmm. find something that it, it, it takes sports out of the equation. But even the sports, you're going to find those are right wing shows. And, yep. and even the shows that, that call themselves religious. They're pushing right-wing politics, you know? So, no question. So really, WCPT, it's an island in, in this ocean of insanity. Yeah. And, and I understand your point, but I know that like Randy Rhodes, Mike Malloy, Stephanie Miller, mm-hmm. the greats, they have abandoned giving time to these right-wing cranks, like the guy you had on there. And, and all they do is you know, reinforce and repeat the right-wing talking points. I, the one I think about that really gets me, they're still repeating that thing about, oh, you know, Obama said to Putin, you know, he whispered, uh, I'll have more flexibility after right. the election. Yeah, but you right. know what? He, he was already the president of the United States. He was not right. inspiring with Russians when he was not the president of the United States like Trump That's right. Was. You know, so all I would ask you, if you put those guys on, just give them less time. I'm going to beseech you. I'm going to implore you. I'm going to entreat I very rarely do. I, I probably have one like that maybe every six weeks, I think, is the most. Yeah. I don't necessarily – I don't do that whole Tom Hartman, let him go to the front of the line horse crap. 
I, yeah, that's yeah, not happening. Yeah. Well, but like I said, well, I will address those things when they come up just because these lies float out there. And I, the idea that these guys like that guy's not going to walk around the rest of the week with as much spring in his step about the lies that he believed before he talked to me. You know what I mean? Well, but, Maybe he won't but, but, change but, but, his mind. But the next time he talks about it, it's not going to be as uh, he's not going to be as excited and sure of himself um, well, because he was believing something that was false. I, I hope that's true. But what I heard from that guy was an immunity to facts. As soon as you hit him with facts, he just walked on to some other conspiracy BS. And like know, I said, so. I'm always talking past the person. Um, if, if they don't hear me, their friend who knows they're full of crap, but occasionally sides with them will hear me. And that's gotta be, you know, that's gotta matter. And again, I, it may be a losing battle, but that's the, that's the fight I will go down swinging on because I, uh, I honor the argument and I think democracy is, that's a crucial part of it. Um, and I promise though, I, on, for you, I will keep it to a minimum though. I won't won't let them run roughshod. Yeah, just one last thing. I mean, you know, we sure. all may be in our own bubbles, but I like to think on the left side, you know, our bubble is probably 90% air, where their bubble <laughs> is like 90% nitrogen or facts, which suffocates <laughs> right. most. For helium, right. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's an excellent point. Yes. Uh, well, I appreciate the call. And like I said, I will mitigate that so as to not drive you crazy. And you're absolutely right about AM radio, by the way. I listen to AM radio when I'm driving around the country. Like when I'm doing stand up, one of the ways I get kind of uh, my blood boiling for showtime is I will put on what are effectively right wing talk shows or right wing preachers because I get so irritated by their nonsense that I, I you know, it. It adds that extra oomph to my evening, gets my adrenaline pumping for the show. It's better than a shot of espresso. So uh, I, I am very aware that they own that part of it. And again, that's Deval's, Deval Patrick's biggest hamstring besides the fact that he looks like Byron Allen but has Mike Tyson's voice, um, is that he actually worked with Bain Capital. And Bain Capital is responsible for brooming the hell out of um, progressive media. The buying up stations and shutting them down. Um, I appreciate the call. Let's grab one more caller and then, because we're running out of time uh, for this show, we will have a post show, YouTubers. So uh, hang out. But uh, who else do we have, Devin? Let's Thanks, grab one more. Dave out in Hoffman Estates. Cool. Hey, Dave. Hey, Alex. Well, this one got me thinking of a couple other topics with, uh, like you talked about, uh, Pete Bush. I, I, you know, being a veteran, I like him on that too, but. Uh, unfortunately, because of the gay thing, that people that didn't vote for Obama because he was black, they're not going to vote for him in the long run because of the gay thing. And I think that's wrong because there are callers that have been on CPT mm-hmm. calling that are kind of discriminating on him because of him being gay. And, uh, and uh, it's, it definitely will be a limit. It will definitely be a hang up. There's no question. The, the issue. Like, <coughs> They're acting like it's a, a disease that's going to rub off, and he's no threat to them. You know, right. Man, if he can get me better health care, if he take care of the other stuff, I don't care. He's already in a, a committed relationship. Right. You know, I think that's the irony. You know, that's totally right. Wrong. The irony that we have this, you know, thrice adulterer, um, 
you know, who's paying porn stars to keep quiet about affairs and all this stuff, but a man who's in a monogamous relationship with another man, a stable, steady, caring relationship uh, is kind of the point. Because that's the only part that extrapolates into your presidency. The only part, yeah. I mean, he's a a veteran and he's also a Rhodes Scholar. And it's like, my God, you know, it's like every box is checked. And and just before I leave, real quick, you were mentioning earlier too about with the Joe Biden and the Hunter Biden thing that, well, the Congress should start turning around and uh, start saying that we are through a congressional investigation now. I knew uh, uh, to the, the mad dog there, that, that wrestler, you know, um, the wrestling coach. Oh, Jim, yeah, Jim Jordan. Because uh, there's that, well, uh, that Ohio, you know, uh, state, and they got a group yeah. that's been wanting, they had a, in fact, during the, the meeting there, they had a, uh, mobile billboard going around about that. And well, and everybody in that district, everyone who went to that school knows he was aware. Yeah. There's no question. Up from There's like no... 177 that were molested to now like 350 and from three reps. There's no way he didn't know. Out. And here's the here's so the other problem with that. His, his own... this uh, committee going to do an investigation? Agreed. Agreed. I, it, the most horrifying thing. To, sorry, go ahead. Hell, let, let me get off and get to the happy ending. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. I the most horrifying thing about Jordan's kind of defense is that I don't know how that helps you to say I was there and I had no idea how rem- and have that be part of your sales pitch for why you would be a good congressional representative. You know what I mean? Like how, how is the person who was unaware that that level of pedophilic sexual assault was going on and you had no idea, but I'm supposed to trust you to know the ins and the outs of what's best for my district. Are you nuts? How does that even, your defense almost makes it worse. If you'd have known and went, I thought other people were handling it, it wasn't my department, and I related my concerns to other people, but when it wasn't handled, uh, I was as shocked as everyone, but it wasn't, you know, it was outside my realm of control. That's the best possible defense of this indefensible situation you could possibly float that makes sense. But the, you know, (coughs) saying you didn't know and then having that be the reason why people should elect you to run their district is insanity. Okay. Um, do we have the happy ending song? I don't know if we have it on cue, but okay. Um, we'll happy. play it. You are happy. Let us be happy together. Whether the weather is cloudy or sunny, I will always be your funny honey bunny. I am lucky. You are lucky. Let us get lucky together. Whether the weather is cloudy or breezy, I'll be there to say, hey, come on, let's take it easy. Because isn't it nice to have the friends that you do? And isn't it nice that the sky is so blue? And isn't it nice to say I love you? Chugga, chugga, choo, choo. So... A couple of you may know that after 
we talked about. And thank you guys for listening this week. I appreciate you guys. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the YouTube channel, infotainmentwars.com. Always helps us out. Keep listening on the station. Any of the advertisers you see, please uh, send your love their way because we, you know, the station needs all the help it can get in that regard. And think about becoming a patron, patreon.com slash Sparks. If you like what I did and what I'm doing, do it. Here's the thing I'm going to leave you with. Algae-fueled bioreactor soaks up CO2 400 times more effective than trees. There are now machines going online. The first test ones were in 2017. They are now going online in 2019 that absorb CO2 and compress it into a form of charcoal that helps seed forests. You can put it in the ground and it acts as a uh, a soil accelerator. This is the technology of the future. This is what our focus needs to be as far as the technology of tomorrow. And it's here. We just need to invest in it. There you go. You guys uh, have a fantastic week. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Uh, enjoy your trip to Fancoma. We'll see you next week. Hey, this is Ryan Knight, and if you've enjoyed this podcast, you're going to love my podcast, Amped Up with Proud Resistor, where we dive deep into progressive issues, Trump's crimes. And we have great guests like Rosie O'Donnell, Rob Reiner, and Malcolm Nance. You're such a name dropper. Oh, you know. So come on and join us at Amped Up with Proud Resistor on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network.